Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could never edit that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I'm all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny B. Today, I welcome Irma Gold, award-winning author and editor. Irma has published a short fiction collection as well as three children's books. The Breaking, which we talk about today, is her debut novel. Emma is ambassador for Thailand's Save the Elephant Foundation and a fellow podcaster for Secrets from the Green Room. Welcome, Emma. Hi, Danny. It's so good to be here. It's lovely to have you. I loved your book and we will talk about it a lot later. But the first thing I noticed when I picked it up, and I do read a lot of books, was just how beautifully it was written. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. And Nigel Featherston, he actually warned me about this on social media. <laughs> she is just an, a special writer. And so I picked it up with high expectations. <laughs> oh, that's always dangerous. <laughs> it is. It is. I agree. <laughs> Can you give us an elevator pitch uh, for the breaking? Yeah, so it's the story of two young women called Devon and Hannah and they meet in Thailand, so the whole book's set in Thailand and Devon is this very kind of feisty and outspoken and very outwardly confident person, whereas Hannah's much more unsure of herself and she's really kind of wrestling with her identity and her sexuality and she's basically in thrall of Devon who sort of sweeps her into her orbit and, and then together they get involved um, with rescuing elephants from the tourism industry. It's an amazing story and the book is about so many things, but one of them which I was really interested about is the way humans impact the world and often negatively and specifically in this context. Why was this important for you to explore? Well, it's something I've been really personally interested in um, and I, as you said in your opener, I have worked with elephants myself and it's just really interesting thinking about the way you engage with those kind of activities because 
you know, you can go overseas and volunteer and actually end up doing more damage than you can do good. And so, you know, I was thinking about all of those kind of issues as I was writing the book. And for me, writing is so often a way of working out what I think. So all the kinds of things that I was thinking about in terms of the suffering of elephants in the tourism industry and, and what it means to be somebody who comes from another other country and engages with a different culture in, in that context were things that I was kind of working out what I thought about them as I went along. It was interesting because I was doing that as I was reading it and you know we've all heard about the tourist attractions in Thailand or we've all known people who've come back and shown us photos about riding an elephant or the fish eating the skin from your feet but we don't often hear about the cruelty to the animals that go with that. Can you explore that a little bit with us? Yeah and I don't I don't really know why we don't hear about that. I mean, if you Google riding an elephant, all mm. of the top hits are about why you actually shouldn't ride an elephant. Um, it was actually something that I looked into doing myself because I absolutely, you know, I've always loved elephants and I wanted to get close to an elephant. And so, you know, I was thinking about, well, where can I do this? And it wasn't until I started Googling that I that I realised that actually if I loved elephants, it wasn't something I should be doing. But even doing all of that research, it wasn't until I started getting involved with the Save Elephant Foundation. There was one particular um, project that I worked on in this tiny little village called um, Bantaklang in the Surin province, where there are just so many engaged in, in uh, the tourism industry, where I really got to see what it's like for those animals behind the scenes. And it's, it's shocking. It really is shocking what happens um, to these animals, both through the breaking process that they go through um, very early on, but then actually how, how they're kind of kept through, through their actual work for their whole life. You made Thailand in the book just come alive, you know, with its sights and its smells and the beauty as well and that kind of juxtaposition of everything that makes up Thailand. What do you think draws people to Thailand or what drew you to the place? Well, initially it was elephants that drew me there and then I just fell in love with the country and its people and it is like probably like any country, it's full of all of those kind of contradictions and uh, it's interesting that you say that because when I was there I was really recording all of those tiny little details that I think in writing bring a place to life so you know I would keep journals but not not the kind of journals where you're sort of writing what you're doing but more all of those little things like the way something smells or sounds or feels and also recording a lot of video and photographs again not the kind that you would be posting on social media but when I started writing the book and I did write it quite quickly for me I would, before I started writing, I would often go and just look at a video for like two minutes and it would immediately take me back into what it felt like to be in Thailand, which was really important with writing this book. And um, as I say, I wrote it quite quickly for me, which is probably not very quickly for other people, but I, because I work full time as an editor, I'd given myself two mornings a week of like two or three hours. And my goal was to write about a thousand words in each of those sessions. And I did end up finishing the first draft of the book in, I think it was about eight months, which is fast for me. And the, the story really did kind of just spool out. And in fact, it didn't start with the elephants for me. It actually started with the characters, which I think is really important. And and they really, I, I actually didn't intend to write this novel. I got back from a trip to Thailand and Devon and Hannah were just kind of there on the page already fully formed. And the story really just almost spooled out of me. I felt like they really led me through the story. It was quite amazing. I'm sure I'll never have it again. It was absolutely 
you know, I could absolutely tell that you had been to the place and you'd done that kind of real authentic research just from reading the book. I thought, I don't even need to ask if you've been, I mean, I knew because you, you know, been the ambassador for Thailand Save the Elephant Foundation, but it was just, it was so obvious to me that, <laughs> that you were really engaged with the place. Now, I really want to hear about you volunteering on projects, working with rescuing elephants, and particularly when you say when people go over there, but they can do more harm. I'm really interested in, in this aspect of it. Well, one of the versions, you know, that I came to is that the only reason you can volunteer with these elephants in the first place is because they've already been through uh, that breaking process. So they have already submitted to humans. And, you know, I was thinking about all of these things as I was writing. And in fact, some of those things I gave to Devon as she, she wrestles with her own experience and engagement with how much she can do and how much she can't do. And, you know, there is a pivotal scene in the book, which I, I don't want to give away, but, you know, where really it comes to fruition, this whole kind of idea of what can go horribly wrong when you interfere too much in things. It's a real quandary. The whole thing's a real quandary. And I guess the, the other end of the spectrum is, you know, the situation for elephants, the ideal is obviously that they're in the wild. Um, and the other end of the spectrum is that they're in service of the tourism industry. But there's a whole load of grey in the middle where there can be eco-tourist uh, um, opportunities that are better for the elephants and also mean that people in Thailand can earn their livelihood because this is one of the things, none of these things are ever, uh, ever black and white and it's what made it so interesting writing about it, that, you know, for many people in Thailand they might have one elephant or they might have a few elephants and that's how they earn their living. So if you then take that away from them, how are they going to survive? So... Yeah, there is a whole lot of grey kind of in the middle where actually there's there's a compromise that is a better situation for the elephants but also means that the humans are able to live too. I did actually think that when, you know, I was reading the book, thinking about the impact and, you know, them relying on, you know, particular things to earn an income as well. But I thought, you know, your, your character Hannah says, you know, we can't change the world, not by ourselves. Is there a sense of frustration about that though as well? Yeah, it's interesting because I actually have seen many people do amazing things. I mean, Lek Shailer, who is the uh, founder of the Save Elephant Foundation, is she's, she's this very tiny, petite woman, and she is just a force to be reckoned with. The things that she has achieved and the way that she has changed the world, it's unbelievable. She, I mean, she's incredible. So people can actually change the world. And, and, I, and I believe, too, that books can, you know, I really hope that actually, and, and I've already had the experience that some early readers have said to me that they hadn't about this situation and that they'll do things differently. So it's amazing to hear. So I do think it is possible um, to change the world, but I think it takes a, a lot of courage and a lot of strength. Phenomenal people like Lek, who um, has obviously a whole team of people around her, but is really an incredible force for good. Oh, I absolutely believe you can change the world as well, even in those small ways, which, you know, create bigger ways and, you know, create more people that want to do things. So I absolutely think you can. I just thought it was interesting, that frustration of your character, Hannah, who, you know, they were trying mm. to do good things, but, you know, there was a sense of frustration that you know, we just can't do it all on our own. So I thought that was an interesting yeah, well, she feels her limitations and the frustrations and all the restraints in that, you know, and it is true that, 
you know, there are limitations. You can only do so much. Now, this must have been such a passion project for you, putting together all the experiences that you had, all the love that you have for these animals. And, you know, you said you wrote it quite quickly for, you know, eight months. I think that's pretty pretty good effort for a first draft, I think. Um, was it this passion project for you that you just had to write this book? I mean, it's your debut novel. Was it something that you, you knew you always had to get it into a book? No, not at all. Um, so I, I said before that I didn't even know the book was going to be about elephants. In fact, I wrote what I thought was a short story when I got back from Thailand with these two characters who were just such a joy to write. I just I loved writing them so much and I and I took what was in the end the first chapter of the book to my short fiction group and they said, oh, well, this is, this is fabulous, but what happens next? And I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll go and write another linked short story. So I went away and wrote another what I thought was the second short scan and brought it to my writer said, well, this is great, but, you know, what happens next? And one of the writers said, I think you might be writing a novel. And by that point I already had, I think, close to 20,000 words. So, and I thought, yeah, I, I'm actually, this is, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and so then it was at that point where I realised um, what it was that I was engaged with and I applied for a grant to go back to Thailand to really go deeper into some of the, that's when I went to that little village of Bantaklang and was like behind the scenes. And, um, yeah, and then it just kind of un unfolded from there. But so it was really driven by the characters rather than by that kind of bigger picture stuff to do with the elephants, which I think is actually important because I think if I'd set out to write a book about what was happening with the elephants, then it would be issues driven. It's actually instead it's driven by these two characters who, who are working in the context of, you know, this broader landscape in Thailand. And that was evident from the first page. I mean, I loved Devon. I thought her voice was so distinct and I just loved everything about her and her attitude and then, you know, the juxtaposition between Hannah and then how their relationship evolved. I really, that was probably, like you say, a really strong point of the story and one of my favourite parts of the story. And, yeah, like you said, the issues are really important, but if you, are, if you love reading fiction, it is the characters who get you turning the pages, I think, you know, keep going through the book and I loved the characters tell me about their development well as I say they kind of were fully formed it was quite strange I felt like I already knew them and it's this weird thing that you know a lot of writers will say that they feel like their characters are real people like I, I feel like they're real people in the world which is kind of a bizarre thing but I'm so glad you said you loved um Devon because I adore her I just think she's she's so amazing but I think some are a little bit challenging because she's is very kind of full of fire and she's very spiky um and she's you know she's very hard to get close to but Hannah sees beyond all of that and she really sticks with Devon in spite of that and and I think that's because she sees what's under the surface that kind of brash confidence beneath that sort of bravado there's actually quite a lot of hurt and it's why and I didn't at first realize this when I was writing the book but then I began to realize you know it's part of why she bonds with the elephants so strongly in this in a way that's actually much deeper than Hannah because there's a there's a part of her that broken and so she's really drawn to that in the in the elephants and you know, Devon really tests people to the limit. So she kind of dares them to actually love her in spite of all of that spikiness. And, and you know, that's essentially what she wants to be 
loved. But of course, we're seeing all of this through Hannah's eyes because the story is told from Hannah's perspective. And, and as you've said, you've got that juxtaposition because Hannah's quite different. So the interplay of those two characters just made this uh, such a pleasure to write. It was, it was really, it was really them. I felt like they were sort of leading me by the hand through the, the story. And it was, it was just a lovely experience. Yeah, no, they were lovely characters. And you're right, there was that spikiness with Devon, but there was also that tenderness as well as glimpses of tenderness. I think that's what made her a really good character. Now we never um we never grow so much as when we are out of our comfort zone or we're suffering or we're doing something that we never thought we would have before. And I thought that was so evident in this book, particularly with Hannah who comes over, she's a bit green, doesn't know much about Thailand, which Devon, you know, continually points out to her. But I think for both of them, they both out of their comfort zone, they grow. And I think I was thinking about my experiences in life as well. And it's those hard times in your life that you, you do the most grow, you have the most growth and evolve the most, do you think? Oh, absolutely. And I think traveling always provides that opportunity because you're, you, you're present in a different way when you're in another environment and when you're traveling than you are I think when you're just going about your ordinary life and yeah I mean I think also they're both at this age a little bit older but they're in that age of their life where they have all of this freedom to you know to travel to do what they want but particularly for Hannah she's not exactly sure where she's going or who she is or what she wants And so there's that kind of tension within this sort of freedom. Absolutely. And I really like the idea of finding someone who feels like home when you're not at home. I really like that idea that home's not a physical place. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, what is your process for writing? You said you wrote it in eight months. I want to know, are you a planner? Are you a plotter? Do you sit somewhere in between? (laughs) I'm definitely not a planner. Definitely a pantser. Uh, but I did with this book, there were certain things that I knew were going to happen. I didn't know how it was going to end, but there were certain scenes that I knew I was writing towards. But I did write this book in a very linear way. So I'm working on another novel at the moment, which I've been jumping about all over the place when I wrote that first draft. But this one I really wrote pretty much from start to finish. It was one scene I skipped because I knew it was going to be quite hard to write and I was sort of putting it off and then I came back to it. But, yeah, I mostly wrote it from start to finish. And, yeah, as I say, it was just such an easy writing process. I don't think I will ever have that again. Having said that, I did, after I wrote that first draft, realise that part three I had taken in the wrong direction mm-hmm. and I think I'd actually almost resisted when Hannah wanted to take me and so I actually scrapped the whole of part three and rewrote that and as soon as I started rewriting that I knew that it was I knew that it was the right way to go because it just was so effortless so that was that was interesting it's always hard as a writer to ditch like you know I think it was probably about 25 30,000 words something mm-hmm. like that to just completely ditch it and start again. But, yeah, the book wouldn't have been what it is if I hadn't have done that. So when you were writing that part three the first time, was there a voice in your head that you were ignoring saying this isn't quite right or you didn't figure that out till later? No, there was a voice in my head that I was <laughs> ignoring, I think. I, so it just... 
part part one and part two just flowed effortlessly. And part three, although it was still not a difficult writing process, there was something missing. There was like an energy missing in that part three that had been present in part one and part two. And as soon as I scrapped it and took it in that different direction, that energy was there. And that's how I knew I was on the right track because it was the same energy that was in part one and part two. I love that. I love that. And I'm sorry that you had to, you know, write 30,000 words to get there, but that's, that's what writing is, isn't it? (laughs) Well, that's what happens when you're a pantser, but I can't do it any other way. I find you know, like for me, the pleasure is in the words too. And so also I know some people just get the first draft out and, and don't worry about the words. But for me, getting the words right is actually part of the joy of writing. So the, the problem with that is that when you scrap 20 or 30,000 words, that those are words that are, have actually been honed. Mm-hmm. They're not just that first get it all out on the page kind of draft. So it's it's harder. <laughs> it's harder to let go of them. But it, having said that, I didn't actually find it that hard to do, um, especially when I started writing that part three again and felt that energy there. It was, I mean, it, that was amazing. I was just away. I knew that I was on the right track. Yeah. And sometimes as, as harsh as it sounds, you've got to write those 30 to get to the 30 that you need. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I love talking to fellow podcasters. I've been talking to a few podcasters recently, which I love. Now, you have a podcast too, a literary podcast called Secrets from the Green Room. Tell us about your podcast. Well, it's very new, Danny, not like yours, which has been going for a very long time. Amazing. Um, we're, we're only in our first season, but really it's just a great excuse to talk to other writers, isn't it? Right. I mean, I Exactly. I just, I love talking to other writers about their craft, but also about everything to do with the industry. Uh, just, the, and the reason that we call it Secrets from the Green Room is because it's those kind of chats that you have with other writers in the green room or at bars or, you know, wherever it might be, where you all are very honest and, and say all the things that you don't necessarily say on stage at a literary festival, for example. So, yeah, it's really, it's it's my excuse to just talk to other writers and, you know, get writers who I might not otherwise have had a conversation in a green room with. So yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. And there's something about a podcast. I'm not sure what it is, but there's something about just two or three people. Usually, you know, you can see each other on the Zoom and your voices are coming through. That is quite, it's more personal than you think. Yeah. You know, because I know I've got a lot of people confessing things or telling me later they don't want me to, you know, air whatever they confessed <laughs> online or thinking, <laughs> you know, got lots of secrets on my desktop. But, you know, I, there's an intimacy to it which you can't explain because people go, oh, you know, another Zoom meeting. But I think when you're talking to each other about, you know, things that you you don't usually talk about when you meet someone for the first time in the first half an hour, but you're talking about issues, you're talking about relationships, you're talking about all these really important things that affect the world and affect you as a human that I think you can't help, but it it becomes a really intimate conversation. And that's what I've realized. Yeah. 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 It really does. I love podcasts. I mean, literary podcasts. I'm obsessed with literary podcasts (laughs) and yours is is very, very good. (laughs) Well, three and a half years and look, I started having no idea what I was doing, but I really just wanted to have conversations with people who wrote the books that I read because I always had so many questions or I wanted to have a conversation about, you know, I had so many thoughts in my head after I'd read a book and, you know, not many people are really interested in having that chat. (laughs) 
So, you know, yeah, once, you, yeah. once, you, once you find your literary people, it's like, you know, let's do this. <laughs> yeah, it's gold. And the other thing is I learn so much from it. Like every oh, interview yeah. that we've done, there's always something or multiple things that I take away from it. So, Absolutely. yeah, it's just all around wonderful, really. Say, you know, maybe one day I'll have been doing it for three and a half years too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you will because um, hot tip there, it's addictive and people keep saying, how do you do so many interviews a week? And I'm like, I just love it. It's, yeah, you know, I'm addicted to it. So <laughs> there more, there's a warning for you there, Ema. <laughs> and it I, is I, also a lot of work as as well though that's the yeah. other thing I've discovered it is <laughs> I mean it? people warned me how much work yeah behind the scenes like the interview is the really fun bit and then yes. you know there's all the editing and all the rest all the other stuff but um people did warn me how much work it was but I didn't realize quite how much work it was yeah, it's interesting so, and there's a number of components to it right so is it like you said the interview is the fun bit the reading also the fun bit but that takes yes. a lot of time unless it's a picture book obviously but yeah know, it, it takes some time to read 90,000 words or whatever um, and then you've got the editing then you've got to sort of put it out there on whatever platform you use and then there's all the social media stuff too and I look I've got to say I enjoy that because yes. I feel like I'm connecting with people but it all just takes up a yep. lot of time doesn't it? I mean it's good time and I feel like you know it's better than sort of being a couch potato or you know whatever but um I've actually mm. up television <laughs> I might. yeah I must <laughs> say I, I don't have very much time for television between <laughs> editing and writing yes. and podcasting yes. and reading and yeah. children yes yeah you know you know I, I like tv but I just I had to give something up <laughs> So I was like, well, yeah. that's what it is. <laughs> now, Emma, I've got a last question for you. And if you have listened to the podcast before, you you should be prepared for it. Why do you write? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. It's such a hard question, really. I mean, essentially I write because I love it. But there's also a thing like I write because I have to. It's like it's actually part of who I am. And I know that there are some writers who talk about writing being like a kind of torture but not writing worse but it's really not like that for me it's it really is my happiest of places and even you know you have those times and I've had it with the book that I'm working on now which is much more difficult than the breaking where something's not working and you just you can't figure out how to fix it and even in those moments I would still rather be doing that more than anything else um and I guess the other thing is I'm not a full-time writer actually have to fit it in around everything else so I you know I work full-time as an editor which I also love and and so writing has to to fit in around everything else and there was also this period where I stopped writing so as a kid I made books all the time and then as a teenager I was always writing stories and very terrible poetry but then when I was 19 I went to live back in England where I was born and I was there for a few years and I, and I just got so busy traveling and working and partying that I stopped writing and towards the end of my time there that's when I began to realize how much I deeply missed it like just it was almost like a hunger and I didn't feel like I was fully myself without it and that's the point when I came back to Australia and started studying creative writing and I've never had a period where, you know, I haven't written since. I mean, at the moment I'm in publicity mode for the breaking, so I'm actually not doing any writing, but that was like a, you know, several years where I didn't write at all. So now I just, I can't imagine myself with writing. It's it's just part of who I am. Mm, I like that. And I like the idea of, you know, it's torturous to write, more torturous not to write. And 
when you're not writing, <laughs> you're thinking about writing or when you can next write. So it is. You're, yeah. it's, it's there, isn't it? I like that. Yeah. Look, thank you so yeah. much, Emma. I mean, The Breaking, it's such a beautifully written book. And I love the description on the back, which I just think just captures it beautifully and says that it's sensual and hyper dangerous. And I thought, yeah, that's a great description of this book as well as beautifully written and some wonderful characters who I really became attached to. Um, I saw my younger self in Devon a little bit. <laughs> I thought, oh, oh that's so nice. This, this girl. <laughs> sort of wild, free, annoying. Yeah. Oh, I really liked her. <laughs> I'm so glad because I do too. <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing all of that with me. And I'm so glad that I got my hands on your book. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Danny. It's been such a joy to talk to you.